All right, uh, take your Bibles and turn with us to the book of Daniel in the Old Testament. Daniel in the Old Testament. All right, if you don't have a Bible, there are Bibles in the pew. If you can see one far away and you can't reach it, ask someone to pass it to you, and I'm sure they'd be willing to do that. Uh, but the book of Daniel is after the Psalms. If you find the Psalms, then you go to the book of Daniel and you... Uh, and you look at um, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, and Daniel. Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, and Daniel. And uh, so, when I when I pray for the when I pray for the for us as a congregation uh, in preparation for the sermons, I always ask myself, Lord, how is this going to be helpful? How valuable is this book? Why do we need to know it? Uh, is it really critical for us to know it? And I, I must say to you, in this day and age in which we live, I think this is an especially important book for, most, for, for believers to know in these last days. And there are two reasons why I say that. Number one, because Daniel is one of those books that helps us to deal with the clash that we have between the sacred and the secular. Remember that phrase, the sacred and the secular, between the church and the world. It is one of those books that helps us to put it in perspective. What do I do in a world where we're dealing with mostly Gentile nations? Daniel could have easily asked that question. What do I do in a world where we're dealing with basically Gentile nations? And then number two, the second reason why this book is so important is because it takes us all the way to the end of time. He doesn't leave any stone unturned when it comes to giving us a history of the world. God has it all planned out. God tells us in the book of Daniel, and then of course when we get to the New Testament, we get the book of Revelation. But God tells us exactly what's going to happen. He tells us how history is going to unfold. He tells us how history is going to end. He tells us how the kingdom of Satan is going to be destroyed. And he tells us how the kingdom of God, the kingdom of our Lord Jesus Christ, is going to reign, uh, be there forever and ever and ever for all eternity. And so it's an exciting book in that regard. So we are looking at Daniel and we're starting with chapter 4 today. And I just want to just get you up to speed for just one moment. So far, we've been dealing with Gentile nations. So far, we're dealing with Jewish, Jewish persons like Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego that are in a Gentile nation trying to figure out how to live there and honor the Lord in the process. And so far, we've been dealing with one king in the Babylonian Empire, and that is the King Nebuchadnezzar. After we finish with King Nebuchadnezzar, we will deal with a second king. And then there's a third king in the book of Daniel. But let's look at Daniel chapter 4, beginning at verse 1. Nebuchadnezzar the king, to all peoples, nations, and languages that dwell in all the earth. And he can say that because he is the most powerful king on the earth. He is 
the king of the biggest empire in the world at that time. And so he has the right to say, I want to speak to every group of people out there. I, what I find very interesting is what he says. Because up to this point, Nebuchadnezzar has acted in a very ungodly way. He's not been a very good king. He's not been very nice. He's been oppressive. But look at what happens in Daniel chapter 4. The Bible says, Peace be multiplied to you. I thought it good to declare the signs and wonders that the Most High God has worked for me. I say, whoa, Nebuchadnezzar, I don't get it. I don't understand it. This is brand new for you. I mean, here you are. You've overthrown the nation of Israel. You've taken them into captivity into Babylon. You've done it with all of the nations between your nation and Israel and other nations around the world. You've oppressed peoples, and you've lived in utter idolatry, believing in many, many gods. And now you say, I thought it good to declare the signs and wonders that the Most High God has worked for me? Where are you coming from? And so he continues in verse 3, and he says, How great are his signs? I mean, he thinks God is great, the God of Israel is great. Daniel's God is great. The God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego is great. How great are his signs and how mighty his wonders. And then notice what he says in verse 3. This is something that no pagan king would have ever said. This is something that you never read about in secular history books. In fact, secular history books are silent. I, here's what I find interesting. Secular history books, when they deal with Nebuchadnezzar, are pretty vocal about who he is and what he does. Until we come to this section of his life. Then they're silent. Don't say much. It's almost like the secular uh, historians don't know what to say. They don't know what to make of this. But notice what he says in verse 3. How great are his signs and how mighty his wonders. His kingdom is an what? everlasting kingdom, and his dominion is from generation to generation. Finally, Nebuchadnezzar seems to be getting the point. Finally, Nebuchadnezzar, who believed that he was the most important person in the world and thought that Babylon would never fall, finally he is understanding that's just not the way it's going to be. And he explains his situation. He explains exactly how he came to this conclusion in verses 4 and following. I, Nebuchadnezzar, was at rest in my house and flourishing in my palace. I saw a dream which made me afraid, and the thoughts of my bed and the visions of my head troubled me. I had a nightmare. Now, this isn't the first time that he's had a nightmare. This isn't the first time he's had a dream and he can't figure out what it was. Remember in Daniel chapter 2, he had a dream of this, of this huge image. The head was of gold and the arms and the shoulders were of silver and the breast was of bronze and the legs were of iron and the feet of clay. Remember that? 
and he couldn't figure out what that meant. And so he called all of his wise men and he said, you got to tell me about this dream. Tell me what the dream was and tell me what it means. And nobody could do it until finally Daniel was able to say to him, let me explain something to you. God is in control of history and God has determined that you're the head of gold and after you is going to come another empire that's represented by silver and then another empire that's represented by bronze and then another that's represented by iron and then finally before Jesus sets up his kingdom on this earth you're going to have feet partly made of iron and partly made of clay made up of a number of kings. Now, I don't know about you, but if I'd have been Nebuchadnezzar, I'd have said, well, thanks for the information. I really appreciate that. But why do we have to have any other kingdoms beside me? You know? I'm it, man. I have built the greatest empire on the face of the earth. I have, I have made Babylon into the greatest city of the ancient world. He wouldn't have used those terms, obviously, but Babylon was, and it was a celebrated city by lots and lots of, lots of historians of that day and lots of people. Everybody wanted to go to Babylon. Babylon was the best city in the world. It had the most amenities. You could do anything you wanted in Babylon. You could stay anywhere you wanted in Babylon. It was majestic. It, uh, it was uh, the, the famous... Hanging gardens of Babylon were there that are celebrated by historians in the ancient world. And I'm telling you what, he just, no doubt every night he'd probably go out on his balcony and he'd look over the city of Babylon for practically miles. And he would probably say, wow, this is really, really amazing. In fact, we know he probably did that. No, he did that because look at verse 29. At the end of 12, uh, look at the king, the verse 30. The king spoke saying, Is not this great Babylon that I have built for a royal dwelling for my mighty power and for the honor of my majesty? He was just, I mean, he just, he was just absolutely, absolutely, absolutely fortunate enough to be the king of the greatest city in the Old Testament. So prosperous, so cosmopolitan, so full of life, so full of amenities. That was the Babylon that Nebuchadnezzar was king of. And so he says, I had a dream and it was a nightmare. I, I couldn't figure it out. And so in verse 6 and 7 and 8, he did what he did the last time. He got together all of his wise men and all of his, uh, all of his uh, future prognosticators and he said to them, you've got to tell me what this dream is. I don't get it. I don't understand it. They're pagan astrologers. They're pagan magicians. They're pagan soothsayers. They're pagan wise men of Chaldea. And finally, they can't do anything. They don't know what it's about. But at last, Daniel came before me, says Nebuchadnezzar. His name is Belteshazzar. That's how he named him, Belteshazzar. According to the name of my God, my pagan God, I named Daniel Belteshazzar. In him is the spirit of the holy God, and I told the dream before him. And uh, after I told the dream before him, guess what? Guess what? He was able to tell me what it meant. 
Now here's the dream. You want to read the dream? Here it is. In verse 10, Nebuchadnezzar says, I was looking and behold a tree in the midst of the earth. You know, if you doubt whether or not uh, Babylon was a central factor in the history of the world at that time, this ought to dispel any notion of that. As I looked, behold, a tree in the midst of the earth, and its height was great. The tree grew and became strong. Its height reached to the heavens, and it could be seen to the ends of all the earth. Its leaves were lovely, its fruit abundant, and in it was food for all. The beasts of the field found shade under it. The birds of the heavens dwelt in its branches, and all flesh was fed from it. Now, this is not an unusual thing for God to use, uh, God to use trees as an example of governments in the, in the Bible times. And this is not the only example of that. We have several examples where God uses trees in the Old Testament, specifically once in the New Testament, to describe to describe governments and institutions. And, and he's saying, man, I mean, just imagine this tree. This tree is so high that you can see it from the ends of the earth. How high would that tree need to be if it were here? Huh? I've been, I was, how many have been out to see the redwood trees in Northern California? How many have been out there and seen them? Okay, we've got a couple of people who have seen the redwood trees. They're high, aren't they? In fact, the lower branches don't even start till they're hundreds of feet in the air. You see... But you can see those trees several miles away. But this tree you could see from every part of the earth. And this tree is providing fruit for everything, for the birds and the, and the animals. And notice what he says next about this tree. It's flourishing. And no doubt he's basking in all of this and saying, wow, that's nice. I'll bet that's me. I'll bet that's Babylon. I'll bet that's me. And in verse 13, it says, I saw in the visions of my head while on my bed that there was an angel, a watcher, a holy one coming down from heaven. And he cried aloud and he said, chop down the tree. Chop it down. Chop it down. Cut off its branches. Strip off its leaves and scatter its fruit. Now, most of us living in Wooddale knows how you got to take a tree down. You got to cut a tree down, then you got to cut off all the limbs, and you got to cut the branches off, and, and you got to dispose of the tree as you pick it apart, as you pick it apart, so there's nothing left of that tree. And the angel's being very specific, and he said, Listen, we got to get rid of the tree. We're going to cut it down. The beasts are going to go, the birds are going to fly away. And uh, everything, is, uh, everything is going to be stripped from the tree, including the fruit. And no doubt, this is part of the nightmare that Nebuchadnezzar has. He doesn't understand what this all means as far as he is concerned. Nevertheless, he says, leave the stump and roots in the earth, bound with a band of iron and bronze. All right? Protect the stump in the earth because what's going to happen is that in the tender grass of the field and when the dew comes from heaven... And uh, we're going to find out that something's going to happen to that tree. But while that tree is cut down, and while the, the stump is bound by iron and, a bra and bronze, look at what he says here. Look at what he says here. The person that it represents is going to go out and graze with the beasts. 
on the grass of the earth. Let his heart be changed from that of a man, and let him be given the heart of a beast. And let seven times, that means seven years, pass over him. The decision has been made. The God of heaven made the decision. And notice what Nebuchadnezzar says in verse 17. And the sentence by the word has already been given in order that, everybody together, let's read it together, in order that the living may know that the Most High rules in the kingdom of men, gives it to whomever he will, and sets over it the lowest of men. This was his dream. I'm sure, I almost am certain that he pretty well had a good idea what that dream meant as far as he was concerned. But he probably didn't want to go there. But notice what he says in verse 18. This dream, this dream I, King Nebuchadnezzar, have seen. Now you, Belteshazzar, declare its interpretation. Since all of the wise men of my kingdom are not able to make known to me the interpretation, but you are able, for the spirit of the holy God is in you. He's been rubbing shoulders with Daniel now for probably 40-some years. He has seen Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in their impeccable service in the kingdom. He has had testimony after testimony of what the God of Israel, and now he's, he's been confronted a couple of times by God himself in a dream at nighttime. And so Daniel says, okay, I'll explain. But notice, I want you to notice what happens in verses 19 and following before Daniel explains. Daniel is asked to do something that's very difficult for him to do. And I want to tell you, it doesn't make any difference. You and I live in a world where we are clashing constantly the secular with the sacred, the church with the world. And it really doesn't make any difference how often you're successful in dealing with those clashes. Every clash seems to be a new frustration. Every clash seems to be a new experience where we either approach it with courage or we approach it with fear or apprehension or whatever it is. Daniel has a track record of doing what the Lord wants him to do. Daniel has a track record of making sure that in his life there are things that are non-negotiable. When he came to Babylon in chapter 1 and he was sitting there in front of all of that food on the table... It was a non-negotiable. We're not going to, we can't eat this stuff. The God of Israel won't allow us to. There's a prohibition against that. And Daniel said, he purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself. That's a non-negotiable. We live in a society where we have to ask ourselves the question, what in my Christian life is negotiable and what is not negotiable? Because your Christian faith is going to clash with the world every day. Every day. And either the world is going to win out or you will win out. Either you will be successful in overcoming the world or the world will be successful in, in pulling you in to its standards. And so it doesn't make any difference. Every clash is going to have a certain sense of apprehension for all of us. I'm saying that to you because if you say to me, well, it's easy. I get up today, and uh, I'm going to go to work, or I'm going to go to school. And when I go to school, I'm not worried about all of those kids that are going to kind of pull me into their conversation. I'm big enough. I'm strong enough. 
I don't worry about it. I can resist every temptation out there. If you tell me that, I'm going to say, really? It doesn't work that way. I wish it did, but it doesn't work that way. Uh, you know, if you, you go up, you, you take your Bible to school in the morning, and, and you think that you're going you're gonna to take your Bible with you, and you're going to read it in, Bible, in, 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 your, in your study hall, you're going to read it a little bit lunchtime or whatever it is. And you think nobody's going to say anything to you ever. And nobody's going to get, get uh, uh, kind of rib you about it. I don't know what planet you're on. I don't know what planet you're on. I, was, I remember in my homeroom class, there was a guy who sat next to me, a kid who sat, I know him to this day, I know his name very, very well, and... and uh, his dad worked with my dad, actually, at uh, West Penn Power Company. And, uh, and because he knew that I was a Christian, he, all, he, he, had, he had the most blasphemous jokes that you could imagine. And, um, and there we are sitting there, and he'd, he'd say, hey, did you hear the one about? And I, I would say, oh, no, I haven't heard that one. But uh, it was always frustrating. It was always uncomfortable. It was all, I was always apprehensive about it. And now Daniel here, notice what Daniel says about all of this. Daniel was astonished in verse 19. He heard the dream. He knows what the dream is all about. And for a time, his thoughts troubled him. Daniel's troubled about these thoughts. Why is Daniel troubled about the thoughts? Well, listen to what he says. So the king spoke and said, Belshazzar, do not let the dream or its interpretation trouble you. Belshazzar answered and said, and notice what he says to Belshazzar. Notice what he says to Nebuchadnezzar. My Lord, may the dream concern those who hate you and its interpretation concern your enemies. I'm concerned. God is going to say something to you you're not going to like. And I wish for all of the world that he was speaking about your enemies and not your friends. I wish I didn't have to say it. I wish I wasn't in the middle of this. Because... I'm caught off guard, by the way, and you're caught, going to be caught off guard all as well. And I, the one thing I like about the book of Daniel is Daniel, Daniel talks about those areas where it is really tough to stand up for the Lord in a pagan society. And so he goes on and he shares the dream. And he says, my Lord, may the dream concern those who hate you and its interpretation concern your enemies. And and so uh, he is really having a hard time with this. And if you and I would examine Scripture, you and I would discover that lots of people had trouble confronting the world and the culture. Would you, let me ask you this question. Would you like to have been Daniel when he went to Pharaoh? How many would love to have been, not Daniel, Moses. How many would love to have been Moses when he went to Pharaoh for the first time? I mean, they probably had a warrant out for his arrest. Yeah. How many would love to have been Elijah when he went to King Ahab? Huh? Would you have loved to have been Elijah when he went to King Ahab? How many would like to have been John the Baptist when he went to King Herod? Huh? Would you have liked to have been John the Baptist? And you say, well, you know, those are, those are tough situations, God's prophets, but... Little old me, I'm never going to have to deal with stuff like that. That's, that's why I like the, like the book of 1 Peter. In 1 Peter, God gives to us a dozen stressful situations 
And some of those situations deal with our relationship with an unbelieving world. And he talks to us in the book of 1 Peter about some of those things. He says, well, you know, you may have family situation, but your, your family's against you. Here's what you need to do. You may have a situation where the government, you're, you're, you're having problems with the government. Here's what you need to do. Here's a situation where you're maybe going to work and, and it's an ungodly situation with your employer. And here's what you need to do. That's what Peter does in the book of 1 Peter. And uh, he describes many, many situations. You're living next to neighbors. You love the Lord. Your neighbors don't love the Lord. And they're antagonistic to you because you do. Here's what you need to do. But there's going to be frustration in all of that. There's going to be fear. There's going to be apprehensive and apprehension. And we need to pray that the Lord would give us the courage. God always gave Daniel the courage to do what Daniel needed to do. And so he interprets the dream. He interprets the dream in verses 20, 21, 22, and 23. And he says, King, you are the, you are the tree. And guess what? You're going to be chopped down. And when you're chopped down, the stump is going to be there. And the roots are going to be in the earth. And for seven years, you're going to graze like a beast in the pasture. I want you to look at verse 25. Because there's a point in all of this. And they shall drive you from men. Your dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field, and they shall make you eat grass like oxen. They shall wet you with the dew of heaven, and seven times shall pass over you till, everybody look at this together, till you know that the Most High rules in the kingdom of men and gives it to whomever he chooses. Boy, he's a stubborn ox, isn't he? You know, sometimes God uses that. I often wonder, when I was a kid, I couldn't figure out why God tried, used the illustration of an animal. You're going to act like an animal, a beast. You're going you're to have some problems, and, and for seven years, you're not going to be right. For seven years, you're not going to be right. But he's, he's really a stubborn ox. And how many times does the Bible say, oh, we got people out there who are as impulsive as horses. We got people out there who are stubborn as ox. The Bible uses animals to describe lots of our temperaments and our dispositions about things. And so the Bible said, and, and there's, there's Paul. I just think, thought of this. There's Paul. He's on his way to Damascus. He's getting letters to persecute Christians. And he, 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 is, he is likened to an ox. He just can't get it right. Even though you goad him. But anyway... The reason for this, the point that we're trying to make here, Daniel says, is that you've got to come to the place where you know that the Most High rules in the kingdom of men and gives it to whomever he chooses. You didn't learn your lesson in Daniel chapter 1. You didn't learn your lesson in Daniel chapter 2. You didn't learn your lesson in Daniel chapter 3 at the fiery furnace. And now you have another opportunity to learn your lesson. Many decades later. And I want you to see what he says here in verse 26. And inasmuch as they gave the command to leave the stump and the roots of the tree, your kingdom shall be assured to you after you have come to know that heaven rules. When you get to the place where you understand that heaven rules, we're accountable to God, we must focus our attention on his plan and his purpose, and we must get in line with that then guess what? When that happens, your kingdom is going to be returned to you. 
And then he says in verse 27, O king, let my advice be acceptable to you. Break off your sins by being righteous and your iniquities by showing mercy to the poor. Perhaps there may be a lengthening of your prosperity. And then this is the interesting part. This is the most interesting part, and we'll try to wrap this up now. At this, at the, all this came upon King Nebuchadnezzar. Now, he's sharing this. He is, he is giving you a full confession of his pride. He's giving you a full confession of his oppression. He's giving you a full confession of being confronted by the Lord about all of this and what he did. But I want you to see something in verse 28. All this came upon King Nebuchadnezzar. And at the end of, what does it say there? At the end of what? Twelve months. He was walking about the royal palace of Babylon. And the king spoke saying, Is not this great Babylon that I have built for a royal dwelling by my mighty power. And for the honor of my majesty. Doesn't sound like he learned his lesson, does it? God gave him twelve months to think about it. God gave him 12 months to go through this in his mind. He already knew what was going to happen if he didn't. I'd have been terrified at what he said was going to happen to me if I was going to graze like an animal out in the grass. He had 12 months to think about this. He had 12 months to change his mind. He had 12 months to work on this. He had 12 months to get in line with God's plan and purpose. But no, after 12 months, he's still saying, Wow, I'm the big guy. I'm the head of gold. Nobody's going to tell me what to do. And the Bible says in verse 31, While the word was still in the king's mouth, a voice fell from heaven. King Nebuchadnezzar, to you it is spoken. The kingdom has departed from you. And at the end of verse 32, They'll drive you from all men. They'll drive you from men, and your dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field. They shall make you eat grass like ox seven times for seven years. And then what does it say at the end of verse 32? See, he makes his point again. Until you know that the Most High rules in the kingdom of men and gives it to whomever he chooses. And that very hour, what he could not figure out in 12 months, in that very hour, God fulfilled his word. And for some reason, he had a disturbance he had a dysfunctional attitude about life, and he couldn't function as a king. Instead, he was like uh, one of the animals grazing in the grass. Now, that, that's, that's a pretty interesting conclusion or consequence, don't you think? But I think of that, 12 months. You know, Solomon tells us in Ecclesiastes that one of the problems that we have as human beings is we know that judgment's coming. But number one, we don't know when it's coming. This is in the 8th chapter, by the way, if you want to read it sometime in your devotions. We don't know when it's coming, and we don't know exactly what it's going to be. And because we don't know when it's coming, and we don't know exactly what it's going to be, guess what? We put off changing what we're doing. We just keep doing the same old thing over and over again, over and over again, over and over again. Until finally, God says, that's it. It's enough. And he says, I've got to exercise judgment. Well, let's just finish this off with these verses here. Verse 34, 35. 
At the end of the time, I, Nebuchadnezzar, here's his autobiography, here's his testimony. At the end of the time, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted up my eyes to heaven and my understanding returned to me. And I blessed the Most High and praised the and honored him who lives forever. Now, boy, we got application like you wouldn't believe in this passage of Scripture, don't we? And it's a good, good plan, and it's a good, uh, good uh, schematic for all of us, you see. Number one, he blessed the Most High and praised and honored him who lives forever. You understand who God is now. You understand that God's the one who calls the shots. God is the one who is in charge of history. Does God allow certain things to happen that are negative? Absolutely. Is everything perfect? No. Just like your life and my life, nothing is perfect. You ever look back on your life and say, you look back on your life and you, you know, if you're 30 years old or you're 40 years old and you say, wow, that all went perfectly well. Did you ever do that? No, you're not going to do that. You had it all planned out. You know, when you were a kid and when you were in high school and when you got out of college, you had it all planned out and you said, I'm going to do this and I'm going to do that and I'm going to have this and I'm going to have that. And 40 years later, you say, "Ah, you know what? There were some bumps along the way. It didn't work out the way I wanted it to work out. And there's not a single one of us here considered today and say it did. Say, man, that threw me for a loop. Man, that set me back. Man, I didn't know that was going to happen. Wow, what am I doing here? How many times has that happened to you? It happens to all of us, you see. It happens to all of us. Because we need to understand that even though we want to plan our lives perfectly, guess what? God is the one who overrides history. God is the one who has a plan and a purpose and the, better, and, the, and the better we get involved in his plan and his purpose, the better it's going to be for us. Amen? And so he says in verse 34, I bless the Most High God, praise and honor him who lives forever, for his dominion is an everlasting dominion, and his kingdom is from generation to generation. All the inhabitants of the earth are reputed as nothing. He does according to his will in the army of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth, No one can restrain his hand or say to him, What have you done? Now that's the God of the universe that we serve. And we can fight against that all we want. And we can say, Oh Lord, I'm going to do my own thing. And Lord, I don't know. I don't like your plan. Well, you don't even know his plan half the time. But he is there looking out for your best interest. He is there to guide you so that you can be successful, that you can live eternally apart from your sin. He's there to do all of that for us. But he's going to take you to some pretty, pretty dark valleys and some pretty steep mountains and some pretty wide rivers to get there, right? But nevertheless, he is the one in control. Ultimately, the one in control. Father in heaven, we thank you that you are. And we thank you, Lord, that you did this marvelous work in Nebuchadnezzar's life. It just boggles our minds to see what you did for him. And we thank you, Lord, for the lesson that you have given to us 
Help us as your children to understand in this clash of values, in this class of, clash of cultures in this world in which we live, that because you have the ultimate say and the ultimate plan that is going to be worked out perfectly the way you want it to work out, that Satan's kingdom is ultimately going to be destroyed and the, your kingdom is ultimately going to be what lasts forever and ever and ever. Lord, help us to get in line with that. In Jesus, your name we pray. Amen.